Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps. And for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on March 6, 2020, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat as we continue our discussion over world building. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 and this is green-eyed music lover. No extra names this time. Yeah, you kind of burned the bridge last week with the whole. Did I? With the whole uh, web lore title. Did I? <laughs> when you read, when you were like, I can't, I, even, okay, I can't so even remember. I, I just remember you were I like, mean, even chat was it, like, ah. <laughs> it was the whole thing that Os- it was all of Osiris's right, accolades. Right. So I, totally I blame left Osiris. The, uh, I totally left I totally... The, the blank space after your intro oh, in I'm the sure. podcast. I, I was like, I don't, I'm not I even editing this out. I blame Osiris. I blame Osiris for the lack of name this week. <laughs> he has ruined me for you. <laughs> he is such a such an old grandpa attacking another old grandpa <laughs> who happens to be an AI. <laughs> Grumpy old man. <laughs> yeah. Grumpy old man part three. Destiny. Um, so, I, I mean, like, really, okay, so to continue with this, this is really, I want to jump into this whole this whole debate about world building and what, uh, what basically, electrical literature is the first, uh, is a website uh, that I first see this in, and this is, I believe it's Lincoln... Lincoln Mitchell, I believe, is the author. I want to make sure I get this correct. Yes, Lincoln Mitchell is the one who wrote this. And he does a really, really good uh, presentation of this. And I just scrolled over it. So where did it go? Here it is. Okay. Um, so he has a, a part on this these articles. And I'm going to quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link actually quite a few things uh, in our show notes. So if you have any curiosity where... I'm getting all this stuff. I you just visit the Lore Network for the show notes, and you'll see they'll be at the bottom of the show notes. Um, but he has an entire section that's basically called "World Building versus World Conjuring," and he goes into this whole thing. And this this particular article is titled "Against World Building." So to give you an idea of you know his overarching theme, it's not a positive theme uh, with regards to world building. It's actually he's arguing against it. Um, And his problem with it is that he says, my problem with is not with non-realist writing, but implying the rules of certain types of science fiction and fantasy to all types and beyond. Um, And so he's like, 
he goes on to say that, you know, most people use the term uh, similar to the idea that world building covers everything and anything inside that world, which includes money, clothing, territorial boundaries, tribal customs, building materials, imports, exports, transportation, sex, food, the various types of monkeys people possess, whether the world does or does not contain satanic twerking rights, uh, which I, I love that inclusion on there. But so he his basic thing is like he's not saying he or he's saying that. In this sense, it's it's not just creating a setting; it's actually fleshing an invented world out completely. And the problem with this is that, you know, it it's not realistic. Like it's just it's not like you know in a perfect. And so basically, he goes on to say, in a perfectly executed work of world building, there would be no gaps in the world for the reader to fill. And, you know, everything from the goblins favorite type of baby wipes to the export taxes on Martian ray guns would be worked out. Um, And, you know, and that and that's just not that's just not conducive to to the way most people write. Like, that's just not it takes the joy out of writing. Um, So what he goes on to say is he says, in contrast to world building, I offer the term world conjuring and world conjuring does not attempt to construct a scale model in the reader's bedroom, but instead uses hints and literary magic to create the illusion of a world with the reader working to fill in the gaps. So whereas world building imposes world conjuring collaborates, which is where I really like that concept of world conjuring, because that's kind of what we've been talking about a lot. It, it, it actually invites your, whether it's the player or the, the, the gamer, it invites that person to collaborate with the creator in building the world together. You, you are part of the connecting of the dots, really. Um, so here, let me see. He goes on to say, you know, let me make let me make a necessarily incomplete analogy to another platform. In painting, world building is like Renaissance art that attempts to create realistic figures even when they are cherubs, demons, or God. World conjuring is a spectrum of other techniques. Matisse implying dancing figures with a full a few swoops of the brush, Picasso creating a chaos of objects to summon the horrors of Guernica. Marguerite shattering our vision with impossible scenes. We should enjoy realistic paintings, but we shouldn't impose their standards on every school of art. You know, and and that's where he goes on to say world building is in is the Cimmerillion. World conjuring is ancient myths and fairy tales. Mm-hmm. It, and it, I love the example. He's like in fairy tales, we don't learn the construction techniques of the witch's gingerbread house or the import export routes of evil dwarves, <laughs> which is just, right. I but, love it. I mean. I think the easiest way to explain it is the uh, world building is giving you all the constructive material that you need to be able to flesh out the world yourself and see it visually and viscously without having any aspect of emotional story tied into it, whereas um, the creative aspect or the world conjuring is you're only getting the details that are relative to the story that are going to be important that will at least color the world that you are in to be able to create a visceral world for you to experience. Yes. Um, he, he makes the point that all stories may need to conjure a world, but only a few benefit from building one. Uh, right. A way, uh, another way to look at this is like uh, if you've ever read any of the works of Philip K. Dick, uh, mm-hmm. very, very short stories. 
there is no world building in a lot of his stuff because I mean, some of his stories are only three pages long. Right. Some of the some of the most amazing short stories I've ever read. Like they're really good, but there's and I mean they are standalone stories. There is no other like that's that's kind of part of the allure is like you're always wanting more. You want to know what's going on, and there's nothing there. So you have to you know it basically it's like this thing that sparks that that imagination and be like okay well what what's going on with this what happens after that you know cliffhanger of an ending um i mean that's how we got blade runner <laughs> it's right. that's the, and that's how we got minority report you know that's that's where those came from um well, you know it, oh go for it go for it i was just gonna say it kind of comes from the aspect i was talking about in the in the introduction episode that jumpstarting creativity is not necessarily from the the world building aspect where you're creating every little bit you know exactly in the world where the bear is going to jump out at the person versus the aspect of you're telling the story and there's an emotionally appropriate or there's a um story plot appropriate time for the bear to jump out at the person versus it's just the creativity aspect of creating a world from the conject uh what did you say it was the conjuring aspect of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the conjuring aspect of it is the more realistic spurt of the more moment aspect versus the everything is plot and planted and it is that railroading aspect that every dm tries to avoid because i mean railroading is totally different in some ways but at the same time it's very similar to the world building aspect because if you're going to railroad a story you're creating every aspect of what's going to happen to these people before they get there and you're going to decide where they're going before they get to that point right that's the whole point of railroading mm-hmm. yeah and as a dm i can tell you that even if you try to railroad all you're going to do is piss off your players and then you won't have a exactly. game exactly so, so. Re- world building and railroading are very similar in this back in the aspect of that you are creating no um, aspect of discovery for the right, reader right. or the the player. So I mean, conjuring yeah, a yeah. world, you're creating the aspect of discovery. That is something that players and readers and people who are engaging with the story are drawn to because they feel like they're finding something new. It's not mm-hmm. something that is created specifically for them it's not something handed to them like a freaking a b c d like it's not an alphabet block list that you know exactly where each peg is going to go it's a it's a fiction exactly yep Yep. it's a fiction where their aspects that they're influencing into the story are going to be taken into account so that it's going to change how the story is going to be told yeah i i personally like my my personal thing is i think actually there's a place for both of it both of the both these aspects in any story, um, and the reason I say that is I think I I take the concept of world conjuring as that initial writing like that that this is the story this is the you know the the hook the the battle the you know the 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 climax of the story you know all that that's the creative piece world building is going back once that piece has been done and editing it to make it consistent before you you share right. it. And that's where the world building comes in because, you know, world building is like, okay, you sit down and you've written this awesome, you know, piece of original, like whatever, 
or your fan fiction I piece, think, right? You go back right, and you say, okay, what can I tweak to make this actually, you know, follow X, Y, Z to make it make it's, sense? It's telling the story first and then building the world second versus building the world first and then telling the story to fit the world. Correct. Which is where you get the, in my brain, this is, this is, I'll, I'll preface this with, this is my brain. That is the big difference between designing a world for telling a story and designing a world for mm-hmm. playing a game. Because with playing a game, you're designing the world and then letting someone else really tell the story. Whereas with telling a story, you're telling the story and building the world because you have that's, to you have to do both at the same time. Right. I mean, that's the hard aspect of the game is the fact that there is a concrete direction in which you're heading. Whether it's direction A or direction B, there's still going to be a concrete direction that you're Correct. heading. So there's there the may illusion be, of free choice. Mm-hmm, exactly. Versus the actual free choice of being able to kill the chicken versus go don't, and don't kill the save chicken. the widow. Don't kill the chicken. I mean, if you're mm. in Fabled, you're going to get attacked Legend by every chicken Zelda in the freaking teach you Every never chicken t- in the world. <laughs> oh my god. Those chickens are brutal. Like, I grew up with chickens. Chickens are pretty docile. Turkeys, on the other hand, will fuck your shit. Turkeys will chase you and corner you on a freaking, like, trailer. I have had this happen. This, this is a true like, life this story. This sounds like a story. <laughs> this is a real life story. We had a turkey. I don't remember what the turkey's name was, but the turkey chased both my brother and I, who were teasing it. We obviously deserved it. We had a trailer not sitting not very far from the chicken coop, which is where the turkey lived, that was literally just the back of a truck. Like, the truck cab was cut off, it was the back of the truck, it had a little hitch to hook up to another truck type thing, and we hid on that thing for about 30 minutes before the turkey finally got bored with us and just left. This is a true story. Turkeys are evil. I'm going to forget about the uh, PG rating. Turkeys, they are much meaner than chickens. Chickens are fine. Anyway. So, so so the the article uh on electric lit uh he actually gets he gets in a really good debate with uh one of the authors from i believe it is lit hub uh which is another mm-hmm. uh, emily temple uh so this is this is an exchange that happened back in 2017 and it's really good like i i I liked reading both sides of this and the best part about it is that they actually were like, they were very invested in their points, but they did not like, it didn't devolve. Like it was just like, there were, they were both, they were, they had their separate opinions and they were posed completely. Um, but Emily from, uh, lit hub wrote back and was like, you know, look, you're, you're cutting down, you know, the forest to save a tree, basically. Like, it's not, that's not what we're saying. You have to do this and this and this, and you have to do, you know, and she's like, she basically kind of does a, a, a critique of his article. Um, and she, her ultimate point is that for her, when you say world building, it means the same thing as world conjuring, you know, world building and world conjuring are the same thing. As with anything else, it's just a matter of tools that you're using, how you're using them, and what kind of castle you're trying to build. I'm like, okay, I can see that. I completely understand that. 
Um, even though I, I, I personally do agree with Lincoln's point, which, which then he wrote a response to her response. And this is like, this is the one that I really like because he basically starts, uh, he actually also takes some responses from Twitter, which are hilarious and, uh, devolves into him kind of applying realistic world building to different fantasies that are very popular one of which Mm -hmm. is the show the hundred which is i think the one where the kids are kicked off the space station or something to sent back to earth i think that's yeah 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 it's a sci-fi show um i haven't seen it so i don't really i'm not really sure but anyways so he's like all right so here's the realistic world building version of the hundred the teens are sent to Earth, and all die quickly and painfully at the end. <laughs> Jeez. I'm like, it, he's not wrong. <laughs> like, he's right. like, and it, his point is, is like, you know, to pick one example of the absurdity of the show, the hundred teens are said to have evolved immunity to the nuclear radiation that instantly kills normal humans, some of who live in nuclear shelter and are primary antagonists one season after three generations. Needless to say, that's a little quick for evolution. Uh, you know, in, indeed, the fact that teenagers are wasteful instead of intelligently saving every scrap might be the single most realistic part of the entire show. Jeez. <laughs> Here's the realistic world building. Uh, you know, and then he goes on to say, when we critique a work, and there are plenty of reasons to creak the hundred or water world. We need to do it on the terms of the work itself. Those terms aren't always realism, scientific accuracy, or historical accuracy. And that's the part that I really like is that you have to, when you're critiquing a fictional world, you know, this is something that's applicable to not just literature, but also, I mean, destiny. We have to do this a lot in destiny. You know, we don't we we have to catch ourselves and we have to be sure not to critique that based off our world you know the non-fiction yes. world it you have to take mm-hmm. the suspension of disbelief that is required to exist in the fictional world and you critique it in the terms of the work itself you know that's where the death of the author argument comes in um and so he goes on to say you know he's not against world building he's just not against or he's against world building not against science fiction fantasy again going back to what works for one genre you shouldn't apply to everything like it, it, that's just not the way it oh, works oh sure i mean um, building out like warhammer for example there are aspects of warhammer that if you just started with the God. warhammer doesn't follow the story of like one particular person right no it follows the story of well, different I races mean, I mean, yeah. there are aspects yeah. of one person, right? But you have the aspects of multiple races um, competing in this world. You have, like, the Space Marines, and I don't remember any of the rest of them, and I'm sure people are going to remind me of the rest of them, but there are aspects of factions fighting against each other. That type of story writing is totally different than dealing with a singular person's story writing where you're dealing with a singular person's emotions versus the um, aspect of a culture writing for a culture is totally different than writing for a singular person right and and so like on that note <clears throat> he actually pulls a quote from uh, uh, Neuromancer um, so mm-hmm. which is William Gibson and so William uh, Neuromancer was like a huge thing and they wanted to turn it into a board game and, I mean, 
I'm going to have to censor myself because the quote is, I, I don't want to censor the quote, but he says, you know, William Gibson's uh, explanation of this conversation was, quote, they set me down and questioned me about the world. They asked me where the food in the sprawl comes from. And I said, I don't know. I don't even know what they eat. A lot of krill and They looked at each other and said it's not gameable. That was the end of it. The peripheral is not gameable. It has a very high resolution surface, but it is not hyper-realistic down to the bones of some imaginary world. I think it would be pointless. It would be like one of those non-existent Borgian, Borg, Borgian encyclopedias that describe everything about an imaginary place and all of it is self-contradictory. End quote. So, it, and that's, again, his point is like, you know, this is a guy who wrote a very successful thing and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, but we need to gamify it. And he's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't care. They, they, they eat that. Like, sure. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, Sanderson had kind of that aspect because the, um, in the Stormlight Chronicles, there's a lot of people who ate the, essentially the lichen off of rocks for a mm-hmm. long, long time. But I don't know if that was an initial thing that he had discussed way ahead of time or if that was something that came later. But I don't know. It's the what is more important to you in your story writing. I think that is the ultimate aspect of what you're doing is what is the most important aspect to you? Is the having a hyper-realistic world important to you? In which case, you can create the world first before you create the story? Or is creating the emotional story for most important to you and then creating the world around it to fit the story? Right. And that's, and yeah, he has a, he later goes on to quote uh, John M.J. Han, M.J. Han Harrison. Wow, I messed that up. Uh, another science fiction author <clears throat> where he basically they actually basically say the same thing that we've kind of been saying too is, you know, world building is dull. World building literalizes the urge, urge to invent. World building gives in an un- unnecessary permission for acts of writing, indeed for acts of reading. World building numbs the reader's ability to fulfill their part of the bargain because it believes that it has to do everything around here if anything is to going to get done. Above all, world building is not technically necessary. It is the great clomping foot of nerdism. It is the attempt no. to... It is the attempt to exhaustively survey a place that isn't there. A good writer would never try to do that, even with a place that is there, end quote. Now, to be fair, as far as the other side of that coin is, if you have a world that you have in your mind of there are certain rules that things must follow, Mm -hmm. and you're able to create a story of a singular point in in that that comes from it, Mm -hmm. it... I, part of me wonders if that's where Tolkien was when it comes to like the Silmarillion and the but, Lord of the Rings in general. Right. But I mean, because so even the, there though, he you're using logic, you're, you're keeping the logic within that you're, you're building, you're building that world, but you're conjuring it as you need it. So you're explaining things right, as you're but, doing it. Did he though? Because there are aspects in the Silmarillion that aren't necessarily relative to the world itself. There's no point in knowing some of the older gods of the the world in which Lord of the Rings takes place. There, are, I mean, the world building aspect is literally just an ex- extemporary aspect of the story. There's no point in knowing 
all the different gods that came forth, all the different types of elves that came forth prior to any of the story that is relative to um, Frodo going and dumping the ring into Mordor or dumping in the ring into Khazad-dûm. There's no point in that in creating all that different aspect unless he had just had that just floating around in his head prior to i, I, I well, don't know so, there's aspects so, of it i mean to kind of take a step you know out and look at how that worked the cimmerillion for the regards to the hobbit was written first like he wrote the right. hobbit well before that um, and then he wrote the Lord of the Rings as his so sons he, got older. Well, yes and no. So, like he he had Cimmerillion bouncing around in his head because after the Hobbit, they actually the Cimmer like he had sent. So after the Hobbit came out and it was a it was a success, uh, the publisher actually came back to Tolkien and was like, "Hey, we want to do a sequel," and he sent them an early copy of what he had of the Cimmerillion, and they rejected it. Because they were like, no, this is this is not like this isn't because it was basically a history text, like it, it, like what we've been right. talking about. It's um, it's really bland. It's yeah, hard it's to extremely read. difficult to read, and it's kind of like unless you have the backdrop of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, it's kind of hard to keep track of what's going on. Like even right. with the backdrop of the Lord of the Rings, it's hard to keep track on some parts of it. Um, but. That's actually where he then was like, okay, fine. Then he started writing the the first chapter of Lord of the Rings for them as the sequel. But like, there are parts of the Cimmerillion that he didn't complete. Like, there, there, are, and and they weren't published until well after. Right, so they were basically his like his finished it. Yeah, they, the Cimmerillion was basically like his notes to keep himself consistent. As he wrote the Lord of the Rings. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really directly tie into the overarching canonical story of Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, but it is in it it is secondary to tertiary connections to then other characters that are instrumental in those stories. Or they they lead up to those stories happening. That that ultimately they do connect. It's just that there might not be a direct connection. It might be a, a bit of a winding road that connects it, but well, they they do drive parts that then will drive the story. Right. There's stories I mean the story of Gandalf kind of threads through a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. um as far as the I don't know, it's just as far as a writer getting ready to write a story, creating a world versus creating a story first, because those are two very different things. If you are most comfortable with designing a world, design a world. Do, right. do yes. that. Yes. If you are most comfortable with writing a story where there are connections emotionally with one or two people or just however you decide to write a story versus off the perspective of the people write the story first and then design the world around it and flesh out how the world looks for me personally that's how i write i write i literally come up with one hook and then i start writing i don't come up with anything else until i start writing with somebody else because but this is going to get in more into the freeform aspect, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. But 
when you're writing with somebody else and you have the one aspect, things that they feed back to you is going to flavor how you react because you're going to realize how that character reacts while the other person is bouncing those ideas off of you. So if, if you are a writer or want to be a writer, figure out what you enjoy doing most and go that route. I know we're talking a lot about designing the story first, because that is what works for a lot of people. But if you are one who wants to design where every bear sits in the world or ever how the economy works or how the religion works or how the creation story works, great, do that. But if you're wanting to connect to another person out there when you're writing your story, write a story that is emotionally connected to the people that you're trying to connect to because you're writing to an audience. You're not writing to a history. You're writing to an audience of one. Yeah, and I think the the good tie in there is the the article from Guy where he talks about the player story and Gee says, mm-hmm. you know, the cake is the narrative that we've designed. The player story is how each player will eat the cake. No matter mm-hmm. how you are designing the narrative experience, the player will experience moment after moment in a linear way at their own pace. So he's, I mean, obviously Gee is talking about a game here. Um, I have always found it challenging to explain to people why this moment works at that time, but at another time it doesn't saying it doesn't feel right. Isn't enough beyond what feels right. There is a structure. And so he actually breaks down, you know, three act structure and then he challenges that and he says, you know, you, you know, while we should not be following the hero's journey to the letter, you know, you do there there are pieces that you can take away from it. Um and so he actually goes further and shows a way of breaking down the traditional three acts into I think he does uh 17 he does the 17 point. Uh so like there's there's like commonly there is a 7, 12, 17 or 22 part story depending on how complex you want to get but the mm-hmm. one the one that he uses is the 17 point there are 17 beats and then he showed like i mean it's gee's article is it's really easy it's really quick read but it's fascinating because he shows like the curve of the interest curve um which is a uh, a concept in game design that you know, shows the correlation between interest and time, um, which is really, really cool. Uh, and then, like, he has a couple, a, a couple clips from, or a couple screenshots from a GDC conversation in which the uh, creator of, I believe, it's Journey, uh, shows how he used this exact curve to create, or the creative director of Journey, he uses this to do the developing of the story of journey like and so it, it's just like really cool watching his presentation of this and his explanation of this and he goes you know he t- he explains i think he has a yeah he does a video of um the emotional journey of uh player a player underground's battle what is it pub mm-hmm. pub g um he mm-hmm. actually breaks down the the fight scenes on PUBG into this this narrative so like even in open world like PUBG you know he he makes the point that the circles limiting the play space during the game is the mechanism that you know will create that that narrative drive to provide an emotional experience for the player. And it does. Like, I mean, if right. you've ever played a battle Royale game, that's exactly what it does. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna link this article. But definitely, if you if you don't read any of the other articles, read this one. Like he yeah. does an amazing job with this article. I would encourage you to read this one and then immediately go turn around and read the Black Armory papers. Yes, I can see. Did that. you read those back to back? Because yeah, I read he, them back to back. Yeah, yeah, because they are absolutely a hundred percent. A word for word of what he's saying in there. Because Black Armory Papers, not only are they just literally 18 pages of lore, he he narrows them down to just 18 pages, period. 18 entries. They are exactly what he's talking about when in this article on how you design the arc of a story and how you connect the story to the player. It's It's really... It's really nice to see. Really nice to see somebody. This is the art of story writing at this point, yeah. rather than just well. But story I mean, writing. that is that is also building the world. You know, is is telling it the is. story within the world. And you know, actually, I'm going to use that as a segue to unleash the uh, the green on uh, hmm? on freeform. Like how that okay. how that piece kind of plays into this whole thing because we've been kind of we have been talking about building a world that is predominantly from a single point of view, right? I think you've mentioned this, but, Mm -hmm. you know, to reiterate, we have been focusing on worlds that, you know, one person is controlling the whole thing. So how does that differ from a world in which multiple people are responsible for creation? There's a difference in so much as a lot of the times in a world where it's free form, and I'm speaking mainly from the role-playing aspect of uh, play-by-post, in so much as the rules of the world are already established. Now, there can be bending of the rules that happened in that world. So say if you're playing Second Life, if you're playing, if you're doing writing for role-play for Destiny, Destiny, in general, um, which is what I've done primarily as Petra, you play by the rules of what that character can do, or you play by the rules of what goes on in that world. Um, characters, certain like guardians are able to do this, and various characters are able to do this. Well, you want to be able to flex those roles a little bit. So sometimes, um, like Petra in particular, Petra has training in the Techian personality or Techian roles. So there are some things that I have played with in my writing specifically that Petra has been able to do some of those um, lift aspects that you get with the Techians when you're in like the um, last wish raid where um, Shiro will lift you up and like launch you into the air. Well, Petra has had those abilities via in the role play because there is a preconceived notion that she's able to do that in the in the world because she has this training with the Techians, even though the Techians in Last Wish are taken. When you're writing in a group specifically like that, there are give and takes that you have with any sort of writing, and most of the play by post are fairly short and descriptive. And you're descri- every both people are describing the scene. Not one person is describing where you're at. So say I'm writing that Petra is sitting in 
the dreaming city inside of the palace. She's inside of the common room. There's a fireplace. She's sitting on a, like a couch-like situation. The couch is leather. I'm describing the scene and where she's at. And then the other person immediately picks up where they're at in their own perspectives, um, whether it's a guardian or um, Marasov or somebody like that, they describe where they're at in perspective to where Petra is at. So the both players are creating the scene together. So Petra is sitting on a couch. Say, for instance, Marasov is sitting on a a different couch within the same room. This couch is a little bit more ornate. It is specifically hers. It's closer to the fireplace. Different aspects she can describe herself. And then the characters have these conversations. So you can design the world together and design the scenes. And what's interesting about freeform play is that the story revolves around the cooperative sense of what's going on. There generally is somewhat of a leader that happens when it comes to the conflict of the story, but each person is able to affect the outcome of the story in the long run. So for instance, the one of the most um, drawing stories that I've ever had as far as writing is there was a scene within the Tangled Shore and a character who had basically attacked and kidnapped another player's ghost, stole the ghost into this bar-like scene. And not only Petra, but another guardian all interacted together to try to get this ghost back. And so we were describing aspects of the bar as well as the fight scene that was going on. So there is a give and take that happens. And yes, there are some... I, I would call the super Superman moments where there are, are things that are like the heroic moments that stand out for each player, but it is on each player to be cognizant enough to rein in their own abilities to know realistically of what their character can and cannot do, as well as add faults to their own character. There are faults that I've added into what Petra can do or Petra's reactions to things that flavor not only the story or how we interact with each other. Petra has a really hard time of um, developing relationships besides with her relationship with Marasov, or she has this kind of almost hero worship of Marasov because of everything that's gone on in her life with the rays of Amethyst and the death azure and Petra finding that, that co- colors how the character develops, which is very interesting in writing in a world that is already developed versus writing in a world that has not been developed. So Freeform works a little better, I think, in a world that's already been developed, at least in some extent, versus a world that has not been developed at all. But you can write with your DM group or your um, D&D group. You can create the story together. I've done that as well. It's not nearly as easy as having some pre-established rules as far as freeform, but I don't know, Blue, what's your experience with that? I don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Really? You really don't? You don't go anywhere near freeform? No. Um, I like the structure of, like, 
I have not, to be fair, the only person that I have ever had a successful freeform interaction like with uh, was my wife. She had a group that they played on play by post uh, back mm-hmm. when we were in college, and it was a very short lived story. So, which okay. is probably why it worked, <laughs> because there was okay. there. There's just I have never interacted with a group of people that tend to respect the not god moding thing uh and it's just mm-hmm. frustrating it's just one of those things where it's like i just oh. i see the every time i get into a freeform environment i'm like yep this is why we have rules like this is why I we rely on dice i mean i will tell you this much i have gotten on to one of the other freeform writers before for semi sort of it's not necessarily god moding which is the quote unquote term for it but basically assigning something that's happening to another character without consent of the other character because anytime you assign oh my gosh it would it drove me freaking nuts and this is a year ago now that this has happened it still drives me crazy um anytime you assign something that's happening to multiple characters but you don't consent the other character that's a big no-no in freeform play you have to get the consent of other players while you're writing this freeform story in order to make sure it works. Because if you decide that, hey, I'm going to write this story and your character's pregnant, but you don't know that, that's a big no-no. Just mm-hmm. just don't do that. But um, Yeah, and, as, and like, I guess coming from multiple year experience of, like, very structured tabletop, for, like, the group that I always played tabletop with uh, mm-hmm. we would do freeform theater. Like we would, we would role play more than we would like hack and slash in our games. But the underlying logic was always, if if a dispute broke out, we had the underlying. Okay, now we can go back to the dice, and we have a structure to to settle right. settle the argument. Whereas, like in the free, and and this is fully you know just my experience, but like within the freeform environments that I have, ex- I have interacted with when that inevitable argument comes up there's nothing to to rely on that is like consistently everyone agrees that it's an impartial you know system like regardless of quote if your dice is lucky or not you know you can complain all you want but the dice is the dice like you know i think it depends on the group really it it a hundred a hundred percent does it a hundred percent does because I've had I've had really good experiences with groups who have decided this is going to be like we know all everybody knows the outcome of what the situation is going to be. There is an obvious bad guy. There's an obvious good guy. There's an obvious way that this is going to head. And at some point, whether or not we get there at the same time as everybody or not. Mm-hmm. So say, for instance, back in that bar scene, there was an obvious bad guy who had stolen the ghost who was at the bar in the Tangled Shore that Petra was pissed off about and this other guardian was pissed off about and we were going to go kick that guardian's or that uh, dredgen's butt, essentially, is what it was. So bad dredgen to a guardian and a Petra. So guardian Petra attack the dredgen and there's instances there were there were things in the story that coalesced that was not necessarily what we were expecting. It wasn't just a clean cut. Oh, the guardian wins or the Petra wins. It wasn't as easy as that, but there were aspects where 
um, things didn't go exactly as according to plan. But in the end, the Guardian was able to get its ghost back. Petra was able to help in some way, shape, or form. And the dredgen in question was eliminated. So there are certain story plot points that are not necessarily predetermined, but at least understood within when you're writing the story that makes it easier. And that's something to discuss with with when you're doing this freeform story uh, story play, because you don't want actors, you don't want to create a situation where there are multiple actors who want to be the hero of their own story, and that story isn't necessarily able to be fulfilled because you have too many heroes and not enough villains, quote unquote, or too many um, too many conflicts and not enough resolutions. So it freeform can be pretty difficult unless you have a group that is willing to work together. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the other question is like, for me, <clears throat> the question that stands out immediately was like in that situation, was that villain another player or was it an NPC that was agreed upon? Uh, that ironically, the, the villain in that story was not somebody who had talked to both of the characters ahead of time, but already understood that that was their role in the situation okay so it was another player okay so i mean Correct. again again from a from a uh logistic standpoint your experience is is highlighting the fact that the group of people was Co- much more cooperative cooperative hundred yes, um, yeah and so i just haven't had that experience uh and now you know Going to current situations, I don't have the time to dedicate mm-hmm. to to free because freeform takes a, a significant amount of time. I mean, heck, I mean, geez, oh, role, yeah. play, role playing games in general take a significant amount of time. Um, but yeah, and it's like growing into that space. Like even when we did play by post, like especially when we did play by post because it was digital. Um, mm-hmm. The like regardless of if we ever used it having that underlying structure of a character sheet there just in case we needed it because that was the other thing a lot of play by posts that we played i wouldn't consider them freeform looking back they probably were pretty freeform because they were very Mm -hmm. role play heavy but Mm -hmm. the reason i wouldn't consider them is because if a crisis arose and that we needed to settle a dispute it wasn't a matter of who wrote better it was a matter of you know, let's roll a dice and see where it goes. It just it to me that it's just the deference of of that particular dispute that that particular it is. argument. But if you t- if you take it in the form of like tabletop RPGs, what essentially freeform can become is the aspect of there is a DM or there is a GM who plays the bad guy or who plays the conflict in the situation, because that's what DMs do, right? In a situation of tabletop RPGs, if the player characters were the ones in charge all the time, there wouldn't be any conflicts. They would just constantly be partying, drinking in the bar and enjoying life. But the DM is the one who creates the conflict. So people who play um, preform RPGs, who, who do these play-by-post or online RPs, there generally is an either unspoken or spoken agreement that there is a player who is kind of directing the conflict of the situation. Mm-hmm. Once that conflict 
the conflict can be approached by other player characters in whatever way they see fit. And the, the conflict creator is the one who's going to react to it. So that's the freeform aspect of it. There is always going to be the conflict and resolution aspect, but how the players devise it and create the setting of it is up to the players in general. Everybody works together in that aspect of it. I can basically have Petra lift up the character and throw them up against the ceiling because of the Techian aspect if I want to, because of the preconceived rules of the the world in which that we are playing in with destiny but the design of the bar setting and everything like that may be determined on the conflict creator in the situation and that's i mean every good story has conflict and resolution depending on who is creating the conflict or who is creating the resolution is it could be either freeform, where you have multiple people creating that, where you have one person creating the conflict and one person the re- resolution, like in tabletop gaming or freeform gaming, or you can have it within contained within the same unit where it's a single source unit, where the writer is creating both the conflict and the resolution in their own aspect of how they are describing it or their own world creation at that point. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Did I just pull a blue? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I, okay I think, I think, it. I mean, the thing is, is like a green, again, you know, basically with Reform, you have to have players who have the maturity to be both DM and pc uh mm-hmm. which is which i mean that's a high that's a high ask because uh, you know it is. it's it's a tough gig um which probably i mean again that explains why i have not experienced a, a cohesive a freeform. freeform like i i mean mm-hmm. i wouldn't say not a good one we've had i've had fun freeforms but it just always devolves because there's always mm-hmm. it's just without fail there's always the one person who either it's a napoleon complex or you know the god mode like you know just they have to be the hero like and it's always mm-hmm. like okay well we can counteract and you know logically do this no 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 i win it's like yeah you know at that point it's just like whatever this game's over like as soon as you get that mentality in a freeform game you got to be you're just going to walk away um, but that's the fun part about creating a cooperative story. You have to be willing to be the monster, but you have to be a fair monster in the storytelling aspect, which is not always easy. It's not at all. No, no, because nobody wants to lose. But being a DM or being a GM when you're creating a story is all about creating a situation in which your player characters can win. Right, because and, it, and I think that's the that's ultimately the difference, right, is... Right. Being a DM is, it's not about winning or losing. It's about, do you succeed in telling a story? Right. Um, but which there is, are, go for it. There are DMs who are so consumed with the numbers aspect yes. of creating the story that the story gets lost in the technical side yes. of creating the situation. I, I, I can't stand oh. those types of DMs. And I've played that before, and it's not exactly fun. Oh, it's stressful. It's just... But... Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, 
but that's just, that's the balance you have to walk. That's the line you have to walk when you're creating a story. If you're right. creating a tabletop story in particular, because you're not only creating the situation in which players can express themselves in ways that make them feel powerful or heroic or however their character is going to react. Some characters like to be the charisma driven character and going to be the ones who are going to charm the charm the monster into giving up. I mean there there are different ways that DMs have to react and creating a situation purely based off of numbers is this is the same thing we were talking about with the world building. Having the numbers and having the structure there is great. But if that's all you're depending on, the story remains flat. Right. World building is a crutch and it's not necessarily bad or good, but if it can be misused and if it is misused, then it's a negative crutch. But if it's, if it's not, if it's used correctly, it can be a very powerful Mm -hmm. support. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing is like, for me, that's where, that's the way I view it, um, is like, that's why I kind of gravitate towards that structure is not because I want to play. I, cause I can't stand games that are a hundred percent hack and slash. They, they bore me. It's like, it, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think that would be anybody. It's like, Oh my God, just because it's just like move five steps. I mean, at that point you're playing a glorified game of chess. Um, right. Nothing against glorified games of chess. I mean, whatever, if that's your thing, cool. It's just not mine. Um, but the the reason why that I like it is because there's that that social security blanket, I guess would be the best way of like if there again, if there is a dispute, it's just an impartial judge that's just there all the time. Right. And it keep it keeps it's people a, in line, really, more than anything. It's a, somebody who discovered something on the way to this place roll a die to see what they discover if they roll high you discover something a little bit more information that's going to guide you if they roll low it's so benign that it doesn't matter i mean that's the that's unless you're me and then then you just really jack with your players at that point right and our tabletop rpgs can be this that and the other Mm -hmm. but when it comes to telling the story, you're telling a story based off of the experience of the players. When you're rolling dice, the dice are there to help create the probability of in which they succeed because um, creating the impartiality or the ability to mitigate the God mode that a lot of players like to take advantage of because who doesn't want to be a hero? Cause everybody wants to be a hero of their own story it helps direct the story in a way that twists and turns develop because of the terrible roles that end up happening. Some of the best stories are because of terrible roles. Oh yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the whole point of creativity, right? Like creativity isn't born of exceptional situations. Creativity is born of situations that aren't exceptional. Um, I was listening to a Ted radio hour on po- uh, Julie had it on her podcast the other night when we were going to bed, and this gentleman who was very adamant about playing on the perfect, you had to have a perfectly in tune grand piano that had to be this, 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 and this, right? He was he was a jazz musician. He had to have all of these different things, and he got to the situation where 
There was not a grand piano. There was not all these different things that he had expected. Not everything was going the way he had wanted it to. And he had to play. Like, there was no if, ands, thens, or buts about it. He had, had to end up playing. And what ended up coming out of the concert, because of the difficulty or quote-unquote difficulty of having a piano that wasn't exactly what he wanted or not exactly in tune, he created the most downloaded, most consumed jazz album of all time because of the quote-unquote difficulty to difficulty that he had in the situation because he was able to let go of these preconceived notions of this is how it's supposed to be. I'm going to make it what I want it to be. Adaptability. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. What do you think, Blue? I think it's good rap. Um, you know, again, I'm going to put the links to the, all the articles that I had kind of dug up that I have, that I personally have, that I dug up in addition uh, to some of the stuff. Like, there's there's a really good, uh, for those who are interested in it, uh, there is a really good, uh, it's called Sample Questions When World Building, and it's from, oh, let me make sure I get this right, it's from the... I want to say it's science fiction, science fiction and fantasy writers of America website uh, by uh, Patricia Reed. Uh, this is, oh man, this is, I don't know how long this thing's been around since like 2000, yeah, 2009. Uh, so this is like basic, like, again, this is not meant to be a, you know, checkbox, but it's a good thing to kind of look over because it's got some really cool questions that might actually spark some ideas, uh, which is mm-hmm. actually what I love doing with world building questions is like, cause a lot of world building questions are like, what do you do every morning? I'm like, I don't care. I'm like move on. But this one, mm-hmm. this one's got some fun ones. This one, let me, let me open this one up real quick. Cause it, they have, they have it where it's like, you know, it'll come in, you can get it in a PDF or whatever. Um, but they have like the world, like the overarching planet, you know, and it's like, you know, uh, for a planet that's not earth at all, they have a subsection here and it's like, how are the continents laid out? Is there more than one moon or sun? How does this affect winds, tides and weather generally? Okay. That's not really useful. Uh, are there non-human inhabitants of this plant? Or planet. Wow. Plant. Planet. If so, how numerous, how openly present, what areas do they occupy? Okay, so that's a cool question because then, you know, you can start thinking about like, okay, let's take Tolkien. You know, like the Hobbit. Hobbits are non-human. They don't, you know, they are not openly present. You know, why is it? Why do they do that? What areas do they occupy? You know, to me, this is what I do is I'll just scroll through these things and I'm like, oh, that's a cool question. Let's think about what, what would that take for that to work or how does that you know fit into this or this um which is what i use a lot of these like resource resources for i don't use them as probably what they're they were intended to be used but they're they're useful to me for that purpose um so i'll link that in there and then the con the conversation around the dangers of world building like i had mentioned from uh electric lit and uh it was lit hub um those, I'll include those. Uh, brief intro to world building from uh, WordPress. There's a WordPress that I have. It's pretty good. Pretty good at build out there. Um, there's the Right Life 
they you know have a, an intro guide to how to world build and then uh one and then obviously Guy's narrative design essays which i would recommend strongly if you have not read those definitely read those they're they're very quick reads they are very easy reads and they are very 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 informative reads um but yeah yeah i think the big thing to remember when you're writing a story is have your tiny little hook of what you want to start with and just start writing the questions that blue has for the world building aspect of it can come in as you're writing the big story but the thing that you that most people need to remember unless you're writing an epic where it's devolved into um races versus races or um civilizations versus civilizations stories are about people stories are not about groups generally and if you have the story built off the people then you can build off the world based off of those people and their experiences. So the world building aspect can come off of what your said character can do or experiences in real life. Like if Frodo, what does Frodo experience when he first wakes up in the morning or what is his experience when he goes into this land or whatnot, those world building aspects are based off of his personal experiences and having the personal experiences of the singular player or the singular aspect of the story is most important because that is the person or the character in which you want your reader to relate to or possibly even the villain aspect relate to so build your world off of their perspectives not necessarily the entire world's perspective but the perspectives of the characters that are relevant to your story period yep i think that's that is an excellent Excellent point and an excellent place to end. So, uh, Green, do you have any additional shout-outs for us this this week? Uh, shout-outs to any aspiring writers. I actually have a, a writer friend who wrote a book based off the portrait of Dorian Gray that is a cross-gender version of it, which is kind of a fun, different thing. So if, if you go into the aspect of world writing or... Uh, development right developmental writing it is flipping it on its head doing the gender bent version of it like that feel free to read that it is i'm trying to remember the name of it and i don't but by molly tanzer it's oh gosh i i've totally blanked on the name of it i'll probably give it to blue so you can put it in show notes but finding an aspect that you want to write about whether or not it is based off of a classical book or the story that you want to tell, find that story, find that hook, start writing. Even if you don't come up with a giant story to begin with, continue writing, bounce it off of other people. You'll never know what's going to happen. So aspiring writers out there, do not give up. Do not throw your writings into a Google Docs and forget about them. Bounce them off of other people because you never know what's going to hook. And that is the big thing when it comes to writing is finding that hook that resonates with other people. So do not be afraid to share your writings, whether it's on websites that you don't expect it to get any sort of traction on or Twitter or discords. Feel free to put that stuff out there because you never know what's going to resonate with other people. 
Indeed. And mm-hmm. I am that's actually I, I can't can't end it better myself. So I'm just gonna roll into thank you for your time. And until next time, remember with wisdom we conquer, stand strong, stand tall, and keep exploring. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.